Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Lower Decks edition. I am your host, Michael. If you are new to our shows, we cover a wide variety of Star Trek content, and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from the holodeck. Our preferred podcast provider is iTunes, and we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating and drop a review. It helps our show grow, and we get seen by more people. Help us trigger those algorithms so that we can keep doing these shows. In the studio and on the bridge with me today is the one and only Ensign David Sabal. Hello. We are strong. Are we? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm those guys. You're the Packlets. Yeah. Dude. I, just, I try hard and I just fail. I love the Packlets so much now. Do this you? series, this series has made them the probably the the funniest villain race yeah we've ever had well because they are so stupid and yet they are a threat they're a threat <laughs> because they're just stupid enough to be a threat yes yeah so today's episode titled the spy humongous which is such a stupid <laughs> title it's so fitting now while most of this season has been largely connected to the events of last season in the way of character development with Rutherford's memory being an issue due to how things ended last season. And then Tendi helping Rutherford with his adjustments, Boimler and Mariner working through their problems and finding an understanding uh, and the aftermath of the pack led squabble for uh, <laughs> Captain Freeman and the crew of the Cerritos. Dude, so, I feel so sorry for Captain Freeman. Sometimes you can't, you can't get her credit. You can't get her credit. Yeah. So now that those bits of narrative strands from last season have been brought neatly into this season's myth arc and pretty much given closure and expanded on where need be, we are seeing some advancement in the story. So let's start officially with that. Since you brought us there, Dave, let's just continue with that line of thought there. Um, Let's start officially with Freeman. Since last season, there has been a rising pack led threat which is just fantastic. Yeah, you can't, you can't even say it with a straight face. Can you No, a pack lid threat? No, I do like what they're doing here because every Trek series has their ongoing skirmishes, those ongoing alien problems. For example, the original series had the constant threat of Romulans potentially returning among a few others. TNG had the Kardashians, not the Kardashians, the Kardashians. Kardashians are a bunch of ladies who yes. like to manipulate America's young youth. So no, the Kardashians and the Romulans. That's what TNG had. Yes. DS9 had the Kardashians and the Dominion. Dominion. Enterprise had the Suliban and the Zindi. And now Lower Decks 
has the pack lids. <laughs> That's such a perfect choice. It really is very fitting. You have a silly series and you have silly villains and it works. It absolutely does work. Who would have thought if someone would have said, hey, we're going to be really utilizing the pack lids. Oh, my God. And so many Trek fans would be so pissed. Yeah. I'm like, what? The Packlets? They're the worst villain. <laughs> Me and my brother used to make fun of them all the time when uh, that episode of TNG aired. Where oh, jo- dude. Where Jordy, Jordy was captured. And Jordy, Jordy's, like, trying to talk to them. And he says, the Packlets are kind of, like, you know. And all of a sudden, they go, make us smart. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Good oh, luck. my God. No, no one can make you smart. It's just a spe- I mean. The alien species is essentially a species of low IQ individuals, right? I mean, yes. they're just not quite evolved. In fact, wasn't the story that they steal all their technology? Yeah. So they're not even smart enough to make their own technology. Technically, they, the only thing they really have is ambition and drive. Yes. They don't have the IQ to actually make anything. So they steal everything. And half the time, they don't even know what they're doing. But you know what's the genius? The genius of Lower Decks, Mike, they took that race, that same race that you're talking about. Not only do they make them a threat, but they make them feel more relatable today because this whole episode, I felt for Freeman because the way the Packlets act reminds me of some discussions that you can view on Twitter. Oh, <laughs> look at you. You're, you're saying people are stupid or what are you trying a little to say? Quick, a little quick on the trigger finger to send your little tweet. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I, I do feel like Mike McMahon is using much of these episodes this season more so than last year to, to make a, a social statement, to make a statement, not necessarily socially, but he is making a statement about the current state of the fandom in a lot of ways. I know three episodes ago, a lot of blogs were hitting saying, you know, he is taking shots at the new era of Trek. And if you remember during that discussion, I said, well, I I can understand that view, but I don't feel like it's malicious and intent. No, no, no. I feel like he's trying to flesh out an idea that's there. You can't ignore the fact that there are definitely issues um, within the fandoms and arguments between the, the new era of Star Trek and the older era of Star Trek. Yeah. So I feel like he's just delving into territory that just makes sense. And now he does it again in this episode between the incense, the elitist, <laughs> the elitist, which, you know, let's just admit that's us, the elitist yes. incense. And then you have Boimler and Mariner. And there's also a statement being made there as well. You can definitely say, for example, you have these group of ensigns that feel like this is how you should be because this is what Picard did. This is what Riker did. This is how Star Trek should be. And you over there, no one takes you seriously. Look at you. Like, what are you trying to do? Yes. And at the end of the day, you're making a statement about blazing your own path and being unique. Yeah. So now you can say Mike McMahon is taking shots at classic Trek. He's Classic not. Trek. I don't want to say he's taking shots, but I think he is because I especially being, I think he's being Star Trek about it. He's being philosophical. Yeah. He's creating discussion. Oh, yeah. Because like, I'm sorry, when you hear you're tackling the tropes of what I feel is TNG tropes, diplomacy, the speech that can remember, like they were the, the way they were talking of how he Boimler had to come up with his own monologue to to bolster his crew 
I'm like, going, that's a TNG trope. That is an absolute TNG trope. Every anyone under the sun knows that Star Trek was uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation was built on that. I'm going to say a monologue in the very end to get my point across and win the day. <laughs> and, and 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 but that's why I feel like. Especially after Star Trek Day and seeing Mike McMahon talk. I mean, that guy has a shit-eating grin for days. Oh, yeah. He is fucking with people in a good way. We have to remember what Star Trek's all about. It is about debate. It is about philosophical thought. And he's using the Star Trek fandom rather than other Star Trek shows where they use timely events. You know, current events that then are, you know, that then the writers find ways to creatively create a message about whatever's happening socially socially well it almost feels uh, feels like mike mcmahon mike mcmahon's inspiration is the fandom itself the yes. current fandom i don't believe that's what he was doing last season no no but no. this season it does feel like throughout various episodes that he is making a statement not necessarily pro for one or against another it's just stating facts and like, he wants- this is how it is and guess what there are two factions and and at the end of the day i mean which one's better yeah i'm gonna and, leave that for you and at the end he wants to, to make he wants to make us have a discussion you know the the he is creating a lot of discussion he's creating a lot media. of discussion and like take this into parallel mike okay i'm gonna bring up michael shaban michael shaban Who's I that? Go always, ahead. I will always. Who's Mike Shaban? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, there might be people the, who don't know. The showrunner and writer of Picard. Okay. The main the, writer. Yeah. The His one statement he said for Picard was he wanted to piss off fans. Remember me and you talked about that in one of our older shows in, in an interview mm-hmm. where he tells people point blank, I wanted to piss off the fans. Oh. And he succeeded. He succeeded. But in a way... Mike McMahon is trying to also piss off the fans, but create intelligent discussion. Piss off is probably the wrong word, but I would agree with that, the sentiment. I, exactly. He, he's trying to. He's trying to create debate. He's yeah. trying to create discussion among the fandom to say, hey, this is the, this should never be Star Trek should never be one thing. It should never be just one thing. Yeah. Star Trek is about multiple things. It's about multiple statements. It's about so many other social, social political views. We've said this before, but at the end of the day, if you had to streamline the purpose of Star Trek into a very easy bite size synopsis, it's the human condition. It's the human condition. It's so much deeper than that, but that's a very simplified way of really stressing what Star Trek is about. And that's where Mike McMahon gets it right. He he makes it about the human condition instead of like Shayman, who basically just went in and just tried to basically shit on everything and just leave. Well, I think what happens <laughs> is you have two people with very different understandings of Star Trek. Uh, Mike McMahon understands Star Trek. And Shayman really didn't understand Star Trek. He might have understood his story and what he wanted to tell. Uh, let's just say we'll give him the benefit of the doubt because I don't even believe he understood that aspect. But at the end of the day, you just have two people who just one has the knowledge and one doesn't. One doesn't. And when you have the knowledge 
of a topic you want to delve into, you can create a better discussion and create stories or episodes of television like Lower Decks that is very subtle because it's within the subtext. He's not overtly pointing fingers, except that one episode he definitely was. But, <laughs> yes. but outside of that, it's more within the subtext and you have to look for it. But there's definitely those statements. I mean, that is definitely the purpose of the Boimler and the elitist incense. Yes. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So bringing it back to the story itself, uh, let's talk a little bit more about Freeman. She is faced with the opportunity to get the respect she wants so bad as a starship captain when she's put in charge of a diplomatic mission to negotiate a ceasefire with the Packleds. The best part about this, David, is that even as Freeman is attempting to carve out a name for herself, she's not able to get the Packleds. To nope. acknowledge her name. Nope. She's trying to carve a name out for herself, but she can't even get the Packleds to say her name the right way. No, instead, they mistakenly call her Janeway. Janeway. <laughs> Which is so sad because, like, do you realize in a lot of ways when the, the joke of the Packleds was being told that, oh, it's Janeway. It reminds me of like the fans who only remember Janeway as the f- only female captain when they, when there's so many captains out there that basically in books and novels that are talked about, but everyone under the sun will only focus on one central character. It's kind of like everyone forgets about Cisco. They always say it's Picard's era. Well, Cisco was there too. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was funny because it's, it's perfectly synonymous with the Cerritos crew as a whole, not just Freeman, just completely oh, yeah. forgettable. And that's why the Packleds are such perfect villains for, for Lower Decks. Yes. So I think it's hilarious because for all the reasons Freeman wants the Cerritos to be known, Mariner wants the opposite. It's the reason why she likes being an ensign on the Cerritos. She wants to be forgettable because there's no pressure and no expectations. And Freeman is the complete opposite. And yet, she can't ever rise above that forgettable status. Yes. And that's what makes the dynamic between mother and daughter in this regard so awesome. Because you could definitely see that, especially the moments with, with Freeman and Mariner when they're in other episodes, they've gotten to the point where the relationship between them is actually more palatable now this season. Where it was very combative. Yeah, we moved past that, which we is good. We moved past it. Yeah. But now we focus on the nuances of the relationship and show that here's the reasons why the both of them are different. It's their personalities. Have you thought about that, though? How how funny that is that Mariner is literally everything Captain Freeman wants to be. Wants to be. Because Mariner, based on everything we've seen, she could be a captain. She has so much experience. She served, what, on the Enterprise at one point, I think they said. Yes. She was on Deep Space Nine. She's always been... In the middle of all these major events, apparently, in Star Trek history. And Freeman is not. Yeah. Mariner could be the very captain, the unforgettable name and face that Captain Freeman tries so hard to be. And and it says a lot about. Well, it says a lot about both of them, but in regards to Mariner, it's kind of like. I used to, in season one, she was so, you remember the first couple of episodes, I did not like Mariner. No, none of us did. None it of us hard, did. It was hard to like her. Yeah. But now we, that we understand, we get to this episode where essentially 
we understand now why Mariner kind of outwardly looks lazy, uh, seems lazy. She's insecure. She has she's low self-esteem. She's insecure. She yeah. has a low self-esteem. And she has this, this need to have kind of like her own personal freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she feels like if she is noticed that she's going to lose that freedom because then there will be expectations and yeah. through expectations, you lose a bit of your freedom because you're no longer to act. You no longer can comfortably act how you want because now you're, even if you're not trying to, you tend to start living. You try to live up to those expectations, expectations. many times. And now, now it's more palatable, even with the balance of the, the, uh, uh, the part uh, the, the the dialogue between her and Boimler because we understand Boy. what we we understand why she always like puts down Boimler because she's like going why are you doing this don't aren't you happy here yeah and, well, and, he, he's very different so. and he's very different yeah well Boiler's exploits on the Titan with Riker <laughs> has the crew talking. <laughs> Which we knew this was going to be probably an element that was going to be based out throughout the entire second season. But in this episode, particularly, there is a group of ensigns looking to become Captain Material. As we had mentioned earlier in our discussion, they attempt to draft Boilmer into their clique and try to sway him to forgetting his regular team, Mariner, Tendi, and Rutherford. Because according to the ensigns recruiting Boimler, they're not great for his career. They are known as a certain type, which is not commander material. Material. So they give him a captain makeover, which definitely makes for a funny episode. Absolutely. Seeing Boimler looking more tone and (laughs) muscular, (laughs) all because of posture. And uh, dude, the gray cut. The gray in his hair. Yeah. So he's going, that's all funny. But by the end of the episode, Boimler proves, and this is why I like this, because it goes back to the classic Star Trek. And again, not because Star Trek always has to be that, but it, it is nice sometimes to hearken back. You have that moral. That's what classic Star Trek was, was about many times. It was that moral, whether it be philosophical or political or socially political. There's usually something there. And yet again, with Mike McMahon's Lower Decks, you see him hearkening back to those classic moments. Boiler proves that the ones that need the makeover are the group of elitist ensigns who actually have no clue what it means to actually be a captain. Yes. They were obsessed with the superficial aspects of being a captain, but Boiler shows them that true leadership isn't about pretending to be someone else, but finding your own path which I like this part as a Trek fan because each of our captains have also been very unique. Mm -hmm. And that's why, that's why the one scene that I really did enjoy uh, just on a character basis for Boimler was when he was in the, uh, in the holodeck and he, they're, they're all trying to work on their speeches and he gives off a speech. His first one doesn't go right, but then he, he does his second speech and all of a sudden the bridge of the, of the ship actually appears around the classic them. TNG, the classic TNG. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, this was like a backhanded slap because essentially Boimler faked it. This is all fake. What he's doing is fake, but 
to everybody else, this is what, you know, like, hey, this is what officers do. This is what commanders do. And they're sta- everyone's standing in awe. And it does really, for me, that's the moment I basically said, this is kind of like Mike McMahon telling us fans and kind of poking, a- poking the bear, so to speak, and making fun of us. And saying, hey, this is what you always say that, oh, this is all the captains. This is what they need to act like. Yeah. Here you go. And now you come to the realization in the very end that Boimler's Boimler's uh, lesson is like, that's not true. That's not how to be a captain. That's not how to be a teammate. There's more than one way. Yeah. I think that's the point. And and I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with you that he's making fun of all of us, but I do agree. He's that making fun of the concept. At least. I do agree that he's trying to differ, differentiate between the different versions of Star Trek and showing us, hey, look, not everything has to be this way. This way, yeah. You know, things can always think there's there's room to be unique. There's rooms there's room to pave your own path and be something else. I mean, imagine if Star Trek Deep Space Nine decided to cast a, a character as Captain Cisco who was very similar to Picard. <laughs> and he was a captain like Picard. That would have been awful. It would have been awful. It would have changed the entire dynamic of that show. Same thing with Voyager. Same thing with Enterprise. Like one of my biggest problems with Enterprise was Archer's naivety. Like he, his, it, it bothered me. It hurt my soul <laughs> to see how stupid he was at times. But at the end he of the day. He was close to Packlet level. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Almost. But at the end, you realize what they were trying to do. And in retrospect, when I go back and watch Enterprise, I'm okay with what they were doing with Archer because there is a night there is a naivety to humanity at this point. They, yeah. they weren't aware of how dangerous the universe was and whether or not they should even be there. And honestly, I feel like much of Enterprise's early run actually backs up the pilot episode of TNG, Encounter a Farpoint. What makes you special? How do you what makes you think you deserve there to be out to here. be out here among the stars? And that was actually a lesson in Enterprise that they had to learn. You remember to Paul said to Archer that you think you can just go around and kick over hornet's nests and there's no repercussions. You want to say hello to everyone, but have you stopped and thought that maybe people aren't like you, that they don't want to stop and say hello? And say hello. They view that as a threat or yes. threatening to their very existence as a, as a society, as a culture. So that being said, I'm trying to, in a very long winded way, try trying to explain potentially some of the elements that Mike McMahon included into this episode of lower decks, that there are different versions. And at the end, depending on how it turns out, they can all work together to tell a much bigger story of diversity and not just diversity in, in the trendy sense, but diversity in thought and in the way we do things and how we get to one place. We each may have the same goal, Let's say we each want to get to, you know, C. And traditionally, you may go A, B. Hey, someone may go A to E, then back, and eventually get to the, the same goal. There are more than one way to do things. Mm-hmm. So, all right. The pack-led thing doesn't end well. We, we do get an inside <laughs> yes. look at how the pack-led hierarchy works, which was interesting. This is everything we should have expected. A very immature caveman-like mentality, government structure. Whoever has the biggest helmet apparently is in charge. Yes. Because they believe strength and leadership are measured by size. 
Yes. I mean, imagine those women. Those women are probably size queens. I mean, (laughs) imagine a poor pack lead born with a small penis. He's screwed. He's fucked. Oh, no, no, no. He has no helmet. He has no helmet. He has no no ladies. Imagine living in that culture. That would suck for both of us. Well, dude, I love the fact that they play on how stupid the pack leads are, but like how basically dangerous they are too, because like, this is how stupidity is dangerous. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and again, that could also be, you know, I was waiting for more solidified social thought because I really (laughs) thought it was going there because you have an entire nation that is completely ignorant and they're showing how dangerous they are. And that's definitely a statement that can be connected to today's culture, at least in the United States with a lot of the misinformation or disinformation that's out there today that a lot of people are subscribing to. That's why I felt that they, that he was using the pack lids kind of like a social statement, a social statement. on. I could definitely see that if it was not Mike McMahon, I'd probably say no, but Mike McMahon has proven that he's, fairly intellectual type. So I could definitely see that there may be some parallels there. I, I was hoping that there'd be a little bit more of a definitive statement so we can oh, yeah. say, yes, that's it. That's in fact what he was doing. But, However, I feel like most of us can make that connection. Oh yeah. If you have a group of people who are ignorant and dumb and they wield some type of power that is extremely dangerous to society. I mean, think about it, Mike. Their their society is built on who has the biggest helmet. Yeah. Uh, how about let's take it to social media and say who has the most followers? Oh, that's true. <laughs> and, and like the biggest number wins. Yeah. That's who. That's who gets the most. The or I got the most likes. How about YouTube views? Can we? Because we would <laughs> definitely have no power in the pack led army because our YouTube views suck. <laughs> We're not even wearing helmets. We we would be the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the pack led government. But hey, maybe we should kill then some some of the other uh, Star Trek uh, shows out there because whoa, it just take whoa, them over. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Are you threatening other Star Trek podcasts and YouTube channels now, David? I'm thinking like a pack led David. <laughs> the FBI is going to show up at the studio door. Like, um, we heard you were. Threatening other people, dude. This will be like the new East Coast West Coast war. You know, like East Coast West Coast rappers used to fight. Now it'll yes. be like Star Trek podcast. Star Trek podcast. We're gonna get shot. <laughs> All right. So lastly, the Armist thing was. Just, oh my god, dude! That took me off guard. I, I wasn't expecting that. I was way more giddy than I probably should be. Because it's something that you and I have actually discussed recently. Yes, yes. And the fact, because they've never mentioned Armis again, ever went back to it. I mean, the first season of TNG, for some of those naysayers out there that say, oh, Star Trek this and Star Trek that, you know, there are some episodes in the first season of TNG that are disturbing. It just, disturbing. There's no other way to put it bloody, gory, even for PG television in the 80s. And Armis was very disturbing. It was a very smart uh, social statement yes. on evilness and uh, cultures that wish to shed their past. Yeah, I think the episode was even called Skin of Evil. Yeah, I believe so. And now, now, 
Yeah, go ahead. Fill people in who are aware. Armus, Armus, that was the one that basically, that was the first episode where we had our first character death for TNG, which was Tasha oh. Yar. Oh. And oh, you got to kill her. <laughs> the way she died, though, dude, even though it wasn't like, you know, gory by any standards. It disturbing. It was disturbing. The whole thing was disturbing. That villain is very unsettling. And that's why I'd always thought they went back to it in some way because I feel like especially with today's technology they can really use it again in a similar way to tell possibly a slightly different story but I do like it now they Mariner and Boimler at the end of the episode prank called Armus because of a shard that they had from Vagra 2 yes now Vagra 2 is the planet where Armus is from. Now, just to give some people, or I should say, give people some backstory here, uh, Vagra 2 was formerly the, the inhabited second planet of its star system. The planet was located in the Zed Lapis Sector. Let me get to the important parts here. A race of titans once brought out from within themselves all evil and negative attributes that had bound them to destructiveness. As a byproduct of this procedure, the unwanted substance spread and coalesced into a dank and vile second skin named Armus, a skin of evil. And this skin became a, malev- a malevolent, sentient being. Yes. That ended and he was destroying a, the planet. And he was abandoned on Vagra 2 because no one wanted him. And that actually fueled some of his anger because he was already the the discarded vile aspects of these titans and then he was abandoned yes so he was very angry and extremely toxic and wanted to murder everyone so the fact that they prank called him and he can't do anything about it except threaten and get angry angry. was so good it was funny i enjoyed it it it's that little final bit of icing that we get every week at the end of Lower Decks, that last bit. So, all right. Well, this does bring us to the end. The episode was fun, but it was light overall. Let's get into final thoughts, Dave. Why don't you start? Final thoughts on this episode. I agree with you. It was a little light, but it still carried on to its premises and its story arcs still continue on. <laughs> and, I love the added elements that they're giving to characters and not just characters, races, because the Packleds, well, they are the most moronic race of all time. I'm serious, dude. They are the perfect race for, for this show. For, for this show. Oh, I agree 100%. And Mike McMahon has taken this race and for me, turned them from basically being these one and done stupid people that you know, steal from other alien races to make them stronger and smarter. And he's using them in a very intellectual way for me, because like a lot of, and throughout this whole episode, as I, as I've stated throughout the, this show, I see so many elements of the pack leads being kind of like compared to humanity right now, how basically people treat each other on Twitter and social media, how everyone's bent on most likes, most favorites, most followers. And it's essentially the same concept of having the biggest helmet 
in the room. Yeah, I'm not going to shit on that idea. I don't know if I necessarily agree, but I feel like we need at least another episode or to two to actually to really drive home that point. But I, I, you could be on the right path here. But overall, I mean, for a score for this episode, I'm giving this a solid 90. I really do like this episode, especially when you cap it off with Armas. I thought that was a great bookend. I, I'm going to say this episode is 90% as well for me. I can't just, I can't say anything. I can't say that there's anything I dislike. I definitely enjoy the episode. I feel like at this point, the show has found its legs. So it's, it's probably going to be very difficult to find something I hate or I dislike enough to where it then dictates a poor grade. I do hope closing in on the final quarter of the season, I hope we do get a little bigger because correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, this season does feel a little smaller, right? It does. It does. I mean, it, they, it really feels like in this season, Mike McMahon is taking his time with certain things. Like the pacing seems slower and makes and it feels for me like the episodes seem shorter yeah, in a I, weird sort of way. Yeah. I feel like we're getting great character development and that's why I'm not complaining about anything, but I would like us to get to where we were at towards the end of last season as well. Yeah. Where it started getting bigger and bigger. So I'm hoping after this episode, we're just going to see bigger and bigger and bigger. And if Star Trek day has any bearing on this, Mike McMahon's interview or panel during Star Trek day, he did say that each episode's going to get bigger and bigger. So yeah. we'll see. We have what? Three more episodes left in the for second season, right? Yeah, I, I, honestly, dude, I do not know how he can outdo himself from the season finale of season one. It was so good. Because it was so good and it paid homage to the movies. Yeah. And everyone at Star Trek 2 was asking him, are we going to get that similar thing? And how do you outdo that? You know, that's the thing about <laughs> when you, that's the thing, when you, when you write something well and you do such a great job, listen, we start expecting. Like, oh, what are you going to do? And many times showrunners end up competing with themselves. Yeah. And that's not a, a fun place to be in. I'm sure a position to be in as a writer, having to outdo yourself every season. And Mike McMahon did not hold back during that first season. And a part of me feels like he didn't hold back because he wasn't sure whether or not this was going to be received well. Uh, and I do not believe the series got renewed immediately. At least he didn't know until I want to say the premiere, the second episode. Can't quite remember when the show got picked up for the second season. So when you're not sure what's going to happen while you're writing your first season, you're probably going to go a lot bigger than you normally would. Yeah. If you knew, hey, listen, I have five seasons. All right. This does bring us to the end. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.